I wonder if, if we have anywhere near the enthusiasm for letting God put us in. And serving Him and being part of His plan and what He is doing on this earth as so many of these young baseball players have to just be in the game. Put me in. And I just wondered if we were all baseball players and and we translated all of our enthusiasm to do something for God over to playing baseball, how many coaches would leave us sitting on the bench? I just have to think about that. Today, we're starting a new series called In the Big Leagues. And the big idea for this whole uh, series is this. I, I got thinking about all of the baseball players, all of the people who play baseball from young to old. And there are a whole lot of them out there. There are a lot of people who play baseball. And I will tell you that not all of them get to play in the big leagues. You, know, you want to know why? It's a very simple thing because they're not as good. As the people who separate themselves out and have a certain set of uh, skills and athleticism to where they reach a level of elite baseball player. They're so good that people will pay to see them play. And out of all of the baseball players in the whole world, there aren't very many, relatively speaking, that are good enough to make it to the bigs. There are not that many who are good enough to be big leaguers. If you're a big league, major league baseball player, even if you are the worst player on your team, you're better than, I don't know, well over 90% of the world in playing baseball. You're a good baseball player if you make it to the bigs. And then I think about in the big leagues that there is a thing called the Hall of Fame. And out of all of the professional baseball players in the entire world who have ever played the game, and you saw some of the best up there on the screen, the old-timers like Babe Ruth and some of the Joe DiMaggio and some of that that have made the Hall of Fame, very few can distinguish themselves enough to become a Hall of Famer. Here's what I'd like you to consider today. What does it take to be a Hall of Fame follower of Jesus Christ? I have some good news for you, by the way. I really do believe that there are Christians in my own mind, and I'll talk to you a little bit about a few of them who are in my Hall of Fame. But uh, the, I can tell you that the reason they, they, in my mind, are Hall of Famers is because they possess certain qualities in abundance. They possess this, this, this certain things. And, and maybe you can think of some Christians that you have met, and they're so dedicated. They're inspiring. They're so full of God's love and so full of, of, of a love for God that you are just inspired by their walk. And maybe you can think about people who have, have done some amazing things for the glory of God. There are some Christians who have made it to my Hall of Fame. I look up to them, not worship them, but I respect their walk with the Lord. Certainly, many of the, uh, the, the people that we read about in the Bible, and I just want to remind you that they're just ordinary people. They're just people like you and I. That's all they are. But, but they, they, were, they had extraordinary love for God and they had qualities that set them apart. They had courage. They did things. They, they did mighty exploits because their faith was so big. And I like to be around Hall of Famer Christians. And they inspire me. And here's the good news. I'm going to tell you right now that as much as I may have wanted to be, 
I don't, and this is my sincere belief, I could have dedicated myself from a very early age to be a professional baseball player, and I could have worked out, and I could have done a lot of things. I'm not sure that I had the physical athleticism that I would have ever made it to the big leagues. That's an elite level. And I just don't think that no matter how hard I would have worked, that I would have made it to the bigs. I could have been a way better baseball player than I am. But it takes a certain level of coordination and all that. That I probably will just don't have a natural bent toward. But I can tell you this. I believe any believer who sincerely seeks it and goes after can become a Hall of Famer in your walk for Christ. See, I think God will give us those qualities and attributes that make us stand out for his glory. If we allow him to do it. And here's what I'm asking. Do you have anything in your heart that says, put me in? I'm ready. God, send me. Let me be part of something you're doing, something that is big. That's kind of the big idea, if you will. Can we make it into big leagues of God's people? Can we serve? And and can this church? I'm not talking size. So please don't say that all Pastor Ken wants is just to get a big mega church and a bunch of sycophants who follow him around. That's not what I'm looking for. But I want us to be a major league church in our effectiveness in the way that we minister and the way we follow the Lord. I want to be known as a church full of people who love Jesus and love people and have a Hall of Fame heart for God. That's my heart for our church. And I believe that God can do that right here in Northampton. Yes, even in Northampton, Pennsylvania. Even in this little church right here, I believe that God can accomplish some mighty things. There are Christians that I have encountered over the course of my lifetime who have just made it to my personal hall of fame. I admire them and I I love them. They're set apart in my life. The first member of my hall of fame happens to be my first pastor. And next week I'll show you a picture. It was lady and a godly, powerfully used woman of God. And she's in my Hall of Famer because of her capacity to love people and her capacity to love God and just how she loved on me as an individual. I'll show her your her I'll show you her picture uh, next week and we'll talk a little bit more about her in next week's uh, message in this series. What I would like to do, uh, and I will confess to you that normally I like to preach exegetical. That means I just kind of find a, a, I'm in a passage of Scripture and I preach through it. Today I will confess that I'm preaching more of a topical sermon. Okay, so I hope that this doesn't rock your boat too badly. But I'm going to take you to three different passages of Scripture. The first one you will see every week in this series. This is an important Scripture. It's a foundational one for us. And you will be familiar. It's two verses in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And we'll go to verses 22 and 23. And then we'll slide on over to Colossians 3. But I'll read this one from Galatians 5. All these verses will be projected for you. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. We'll be looking at those verses throughout this series because I believe that these are some wonderful um, qualities that are found in abundance in Hall of Fame believers. People who are just on fire for God. I believe we see these, these characters in their heart. 
to love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's go to Colossians 3, verse 14. One particular verse for our lesson today. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Put on love. Now, verses, uh, 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 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is the last passage that I'll uh, read at this point with you. You know this, this uh, familiar passage, but I want to read it to you again. 1 Corinthians 13 and begin in verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy and does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes. Always perseveres. Love never fails. I want to talk to you about something that is found in every one of my Hall of Fame um, believer hall in abundance. It's found in each person, and that is a love for God and a love for people. What I'm saying is people who stand out to me, my, my heroes in the Bible, my heroes in my personal life encountering, some of the bios I have read, every one of them that make my Hall of Fame had this capacity to love God and a capacity to love their neighbors and their friends and people around them. Can you imagine with me just for a second um, what what it would be like to be a baseball player who doesn't love to play baseball? <laughs> I guess there's some of them out there. I think that there are some athletes that do that because it's the most money they can make. I really And can't you tell when somebody loves playing a game and when they really don't care that much? I can. We can see it. And, and so uh, it just kind of bothers me that some of them have been blessed with so much talent and ability. And they sort of get up there and it, it doesn't seem to matter. What I want from my baseball player and for everybody on my team or if you're my football team, what I want is somebody that gives 100% every time because you love the game. Now, if you're a professional baseball player, there's a lot of games in a season. So if you don't have a love for the game, it's going to get pretty tough, right? Can we get a witness here to say that once in a while, we just need to lean back on our love for God to get us through a day or two? Amen? Sometimes it's not because we are feeling it that much. One of the things I say when I'm in premarital counseling with a younger couple in particular, when I am talking to them about marriage, one of the things that I say is, one of those mornings after your honeymoon is over, you're probably going to wake up ahead of your spouse. They'll be laying next to you. Ladies, he'll be snoring or something like that. You'll smell his breath. It'll hit you so hard. And you, at that very moment, I'm going to tell you, all those squishy feelings that you felt are probably going to disappear for a second or two, and you're going to say, what did I do? What in the world did I do? If you're married, you're going to have in your marriage, you're going to have times when you disagree. I know that shocks you that Darlene and I would ever have a disagreement. 
But it happens every once in a while. And then there are days when what has to carry you through in your marriage is the fact that you stood before God, you stood before each other, and you made a promise, I will love you. And frankly, the reason I'm still alive today is because Darlene promised not to kill me. She promised to love me. Yes, you did. Yes, don't you say that. Yes, you did. We're going to have problems. But I'm just kidding. But, but I will tell you, you know, there are days when it feels that way. If you're a parent, you really know what I'm talking about. You know that the only thing that keeps your child alive is the fact that you love them. And that's it. Because if you didn't love them, they'd be gone. I'm saying to you that love is a huge factor. It matters so very much in your relationship with God and with others. I want to read these words with you again. And I want you to hear this because this is why it matters so much. This is why love has to be there in your relationship with God. The word of God from 1 Corinthians 13 verses 2 and 3. If I have the gift of prophecy, which is the greatest gift mentioned in the Bible. Bible says that's the greatest gift. And I can fathom all mysteries and I have all knowledge. And if I have faith that could move a mountain, but I don't have love. Listen. I am nothing. I amount to that much. And if I give everything I have, all of my possessions to poor people, and I would give up my body to be burned to death. If I don't do it in love, I gain nothing from that sacrifice. Why does it matter that we love? Because without it, we don't amount to anything. You're in nobody's hall of fame If you don't love. If you have no love for God. If you have very little love for God. Or very little love for people. Then I'm just going to tell you. That's going to show up. And I can tell you. You can work your head off. And it won't matter. This is why. And you need to hear me say this lovingly. This is why a salvation by works. Will never be enough. This is why, sadly, there are people who are going out there and they're beating on doors and they're telling people the things that they're told to tell. They have a message to give, but they're lost because they're not doing it because they love God. They're doing it because they think they're earning their way in to heaven. And it means zero. Zero. And that's why it matters so much for you and I to have a love for God. It matters to the Lord. A person who is not a top or who a person who who cannot be. I, let me try that again. A person cannot be a top level spouse if they don't love their spouse. Amen. It's going to show up. If I don't love Darlene, it's not going to take her but about a couple hours to figure it out. I can't fake it that well. I'm not that good of an actor. If I don't love her, it's going to come through. And believe me, she's going to be calling me on that. Because I promised I would love her. And I'll never be a good husband if I don't love my wife. Amen? You can't be a top-level spouse if you don't love your spouse. You can't be a top-level parent. If you don't love your child. Again, I think that's why some of us are still alive. Because we were horrible. And you know who you are. I know who I am. Some of us were horrible. And it's, it's thank God our parents loved us. 
Because they take us out of this world. It'd be like Bill Cosby used to say. Somebody, I'm sorry I'm mentioning him. But anyway, I brought you into this world. I can take you out. And so love means everything. I could go on here in my teaching. But I'm just going to say to you, I talk a lot about how important it is in this church to love God. We have this icon up here to remind us every Sunday. When we are here and we are worshiping, our challenge is there's no challenge in knowing that God loves you. If you have that challenge, let me help you a little bit. You have no idea how much God loves you. I can't describe it. I can't even put it into words. I do know that he loved you enough to send his son to the world. Yes, you. He saw you. He loved you that much. That Jesus died for you. There's not an issue of God loving people. The issue is, can we love him back? And that's why we have this over here. It reminds us every Sunday when we get up to worship. Listen, whatever comes off of this platform, and I'm grateful for the talent we have here. I'm thankful for uh, Andrew and all of those who are up here. And they do a wonderful job for us. And I'm grateful. But even if it were horrible, if I'm here to worship God, then I'm here to worship God and love him back. Do you hear what I'm saying? The people who stand out to me and who are in my Hall of Fame... Could worship anywhere. Why? Because they love God and they worship Him. Not not to for a show. Not they don't have to be inspired by excellent music to worship God. They worship Him because they love Him. And oh, I, I I could camp here. I could preach on this. I just pray that when you every time you walk through these doors and you begin to worship, it's why we take five minutes for prayer on Sunday mornings just to get our hearts ready. It's important. It matters. We're loving God back. And I pray that God will help us with this. My Hall of Fame people possess this quality. I tell you, everything that God did to relate to people was about his love for us. It's not by accident that John 3.16 starts with God so loved the world. Oh, he deserves to be loved. And he created this. He created us to worship him. My Hall of Fame people possess this bigger capacity to love God and others than most other people have. But I will tell you, it was developed in them. It's a trait that sets them apart, but it was made by God. God creates this. And it's something that is noteworthy in them. The mark of any true Christian is their love for God and for others. But there are some who just seem to have a higher capacity. You know who I'm talking about. Some that you have met in your life. It matters because God's word tells us that without it, we are nothing. Without it, we gain Nothing. It matters so much to God and it should matter to us. Without love, our relationship with God isn't real. If we don't love him, it's not a real relationship. It's that basic. If we don't love people, that matters to God. We don't have a relationship with him. God uses his love for other people and he often does it through us. He expresses his love through you and through me. And if I don't love him and I don't love others, he cannot touch others through me. And that's where it is. So it matters. But let's look at what it is, what I'm talking about. As I've been saying to you, there are some people who reflect such a deep love for God that it shows up in every facet of their lives. It's just permeated in them. They're sort of like a sponge that's full of something. And whatever a sponge is full of, when you touch it, you know what's inside. Red Kool-Aid, there it is. Milk, there it is. Coffee. You can't soak up a bunch of coffee and then push it and have Coke come out. 
Whatever's inside is what's inside. And people who just love God are like a saturated sponge. It just oozes. It just comes out of their lives. It's in their choices. It's in their convictions. It's in their undaunted dedication to worship God. You hear it in their conversations. The way that they focus when they worship. They seem to shut everybody out. And it's as if they're just talking to God and praising God and that nobody else is in the room. Their focus is there. It's in their generosity and their altruism. It's their attention to the Word of God. It affects how they schedule things. Every facet of who they are is defined by a love for God and for other people. People who are in my hall of fame just obviously deeply love the Lord. It's not something that I have to search for. It just is them. It's not fake. It's not made up. It just defines them. I've talked to you before about a lady who was in our church in Augustaville by the name of Myrtle Wren. I think she's still alive and I think she's about 100 years old. I kid you not. I think she's about 100 right now. When I met Myrtle some 25 years ago, she was entering into her 80s. She had uh, been a Christian since childhood, loved the Lord. Amazing woman of God. But by the time I met her, she had outlived three husbands. I used to tease her and tell her it was, it was her cooking. Um, I used to pick on Myrtle relentlessly, and I don't know why she loved me so much, but she really did love me. She was such a great lady. And so I can tell you right, right off the bat, Darlene and I noticed Myrtle. One of the reasons we noticed her is when you worshipped in that church, and I, I will tell you, it's a very conservative, old-school church. We, use, we sat in pews. They still have pews there. We use hymnals. And uh, Myrtle memorized every one of them, I believe. But uh, she knew the hymns. But anyway, one of the ways that we recognized Myrtle was in the building was when we were worshiping. And you could hear her singing. Oh, my. It was beautiful to God, I guess. A joyful noise to God. But it was horrible. I mean, she just, oh. But, man, she didn't care. She couldn't sing. But she sang at the top of her lungs for the glory of God because she loved him so much. And I couldn't lead singing. Often, I, since I'm musical, I would lead singing. Uh, and and uh, we didn't have a worship band for a while there. And I would lead some, some worship. You couldn't. She would get blessed. God bless her. She'd get happy. And when she did that, she would just, I would be done with the song. But she wasn't. She wasn't done. She would just start singing the last verse again. She liked it. So, you know, um, she, or she would do the chorus. Oh, victory in Jesus. And it'd be all loud. And we'd all try to blend in and drown her out. But Myrtle loved the Lord. She almost never came to a worship service without tears tracking down her cheeks. And often Myrtle would be shouting to the praises to her God and she would become oblivious. I would tell I'm telling you, she would become oblivious to people surrounding her as she just got so locked in to praising her God. When I went to visit her, you know, I was there for five minutes and she was talking to me about her love for Jesus and and telling me about how good God had been. This is the woman that had buried three husbands and and been through a lot of hardship. She never came in the church with her head held down low. She always had praises for Jesus on her lips. And I just thought there was, uh, to myself when I first met her, well, it's kind of nice of her to do that for me. I'm her pastor. I know she's kind of wanting to make a good impression. No, she didn't care I was her pastor. That's just Myrtle. 
And even today, if she still has her sound mind, I guarantee you, if you met her and she was friendly, if somebody new came into the church, they would get to know Myrtle because Myrtle would go to them. And she'd be so sweet. She was just the nicest little gal. And she would talk to them and tell them. And it wouldn't be but five minutes she'd be talking to them about the Lord. That was Myrtle. She had this, this quality about her. where and, and it constantly came off her lips. Oh, praise you, Jesus. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you, Father. And that just was automatic in her conversation. Yes, if you were in a restaurant with Myrtle, people would stare at you. I didn't care. I love being with Myrtle because she had this fire that was lit for, the, for God. And oh, if you needed something prayed for, you get Myrtle to pray. Because there's another thing about Myrtle. I would lead in prayer and if Myrtle wasn't done praying, we kept praying. She would just keep, and she would moan, you know, it was back in the throwback days. She came out of the dinosaur ages when in our church, and we have a history of this. And when I was a little boy, this is what I encountered. People sometimes would just like moan before the Lord. Oh, Jesus. And she would just start doing that. You just had to let her run its course. She just had this powerful, compelling love for the Lord. It was an unmistakable thing. She was unashamed. About Jesus Christ and her love for him. And I want to go back and say to you that people, and this is what it looks like. People who have that kind of love for the Lord, it it, it is seen in their choices. And I just need to stop and ask you. What are your choices saying about your relationship with the Lord and what it means? What What are your choices and your priorities saying about how much God means to you? It would affect their scheduling. People who have that kind of love for the Lord. I'm talking about people who would just, everything else revolved around their relationship with the Lord and not conversely. I I have to say this to you without trying to sound harsh and mean like a pastor sometimes can. But I, I get concerned about people who just find any reason not to worship. I just won't go. I have this thing to do. I got to hold Aunt Sue's hand while she gets her toenails clean or whatever it is. And, and it makes me a little sad because it tells God something when we have our, our choices, our things, when we're choosing all kinds of things over him. Uh, I would come to church, but there's a really good movie I want to catch. And I have to catch it when it first comes out. I'm trying to, I'm not trying to sound harsh here, but I can tell you the people that are in my Hall of Fame, their scheduling was affected by their love for God. It was reflected in it. And their generosity and their focus when they worship just moved me. I could just go on and on and on. But what do some of these things say about our love of, level of love for the Lord? And again, may I say to you, if, if you're in any kind of relationship, even if it's brother to brother, sister to sister, whatever relationship, if you don't have love in that relationship, the other person notices it right away, don't they? And our, the thing that God wants out of me more than anything is not my use of my talent. And God is not that impressed with my preaching. I'm just telling you, he isn't. There are a whole lot better preachers out there in the world. Don't anybody say amen? All right, but there are. There are God's, that's not what God wants from me. You know what God wants from me? He wants me to love him. He wants me to love him. That's what he wants from you more than anything. And so a lot of things that I choose to do and, or choose not to do reflect what really is in my heart for God. You hear me?
If I love my wife, there are choices I will make that will reflect that love. And sometimes there are things that I'm not particularly wanting to do, but because I love her, I want her to know I love her, I'll do them. Not with mumbling and complaining like I have in the past. I have, haven't I, honey? But, but, but just because I love her. And she, she would do the same for me. I'm talking about ordering our lives for the glory of God. The people I mentioned seem to be exceptional. The, 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 when you read about Paul's love for the Lord, there's so many that I could cover. But I, I would just have to say, even though they're exceptional, it doesn't put us off the hook. We're on the hook to love God. And we're on the hook to love people. It matters. And what it looks like is what you think it looks like. It, it, it affects everything about us. And it should be reflected in everything about us. And, oh, God, I pray that he just pours out his presence upon us in this congregation. And he, he, well, here's the term I'll use. I hope that a bunch of us are ruined for Jesus. Just we're wrecked. Some of you who are parents or grandparents, you know what it feels like to be ruined by somebody, don't you? The first time you looked into the eyes of that precious baby, you were ruined. You never not love that child. That you just—it's it, done, it's over, and that's what I want to happen to my heart for Jesus again. I just want to be ruined for him. I want Jesus to have so much of a grip on me that that it's just evident in everything I say, everything I do, that it reflects a love for Him. I want you to hear these words again because here's something that I think is powerful for us to look at for just a few moments. I won't go through the whole thing. I will tell you again, every couple that I do premarital counseling with, every couple, I bring to this passage of Scripture. Because here in 1 Corinthians is a good descriptor, description and descriptor of what love in any kind of relationship looks like. This, is, this would carry on to you and your parent. This will carry on to you and your spouse. This will carry on to you and a friend. Okay? What kind of love do... What does love look like? What, what, is, what is it? How does it flesh out? Here it is. Love is patient. And I could camp right there, couldn't I? What's that mean to you? I mean, when you really think about it, what's it mean to you to be patient? Sometimes I've lost my patience with my children. Love is patient. How does that translate into our relationship with God? Oh, we don't like waiting on God, do we? God, give me this and give it to me now. Hurry up. Come on, God, come on. I'm in trouble here. Come on, God. Love is patient. What's it mean to you when you read the words, love is kind? Yeah, I got, I'm going to give that person a piece of my mind. I'm so sick and tired of them. I'm going to rip them into it and, and walk away feeling good about it. And I'll tell you, that's not kind and that's not loving. I could just go on and on. But I'm, I'm praying that God will, str- will, will just ruin us again for him. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. I love this. As I meditated on this last night, I laid in bed last night. I woke up in the middle of the night and I got thinking about this. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And I have to tell you something from my heart. I've lived 58 years on this planet. And in those 58 years, there are things that I have done and said and thought that I'm ashamed of. And I'm so glad for 
a gracious God who doesn't keep a record of wrongs in my life. It's not going to come up. God doesn't keep that record. He cleansed me from those things and he washed them out of my life. And they're not going to be uh, something that God will hold against me. Aren't you glad for a God like that? And folks, that's the love that we should have. If somebody has wronged me, I should be able to get to a point where I'm not going to just hold that as a record against somebody. I could go on and on, but let God speak to you. How do we develop this? How is this type of love and passion developed? Because I do believe it is, it is something that is developed. It tells us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, and over all these virtues, and the fruit of the Spirit, all these virtues, which uh, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. See, this verse helps us to understand that the loving God more, uh, that loving God more and loving people more is a choice. It is something we choose to do. We put it on. We put on love like we put on clothes. It is, it is something that we can do with God's help. That's what Colossians 3 is telling us. Loving more, growing our capacity to love is a choice. It is something we can do. If you aren't by nature a very loving person, I I know that that can happen to people, but we aren't off the hook. We can develop a deeper love for God. One of the ways to do it is to simply get before God and confess, I don't love you enough. I don't, Lord. I see it in my life. It's evidence in my choices. It's evidence in my priorities. I love this more than you and this more than you and her more than you. God, I don't love you enough. Ruin me for you. And it's a good thing for us sometimes to just be judgment day honest and get before God because he knows the truth anyway. It's not like you're hiding anything from God or you're going to hurt his feelings. He already knows how much you love him. So it might be a good idea for us to own it. Amen. And just say, oh, God, I want to love you more. I want to be better at this. I want to love people more. But that person over there. And I will tell you, all of us have that person. And we need to just get before God. And and I know you sometimes may feel like, look, I've done that, Pastor Ken. I've asked God for grace and help with that person. And I can't seem to get past this. And I know it's frustrating and hard. But I I just challenge you. Love God enough to say, Lord, I want to love them. And I want to be better at this. Give me grace. Show me how. Lead my heart. And look, I don't believe in faking that. Okay, I'm not asking you to go up to somebody that has hurt you deeply. And you're struggling with. And to say, I want to be your best friend. I'm not saying that you need to do that. But I am saying that God can give you a passion for them. And here's how. And this is what Jesus told us to do. Pray for your enemies. Pray for them who despitefully use you. Who say all manner of evil against you. Lift them up in prayer. Who do things to you that hurt you. Pray for them. And let me tell you, I've been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. It's not easy. But I will tell you that by obeying the Lord in that one spot, God has increased my capacity to love even people who were just awful towards me. I just ask, ask God for his blessing in their life. I, and I prayed it sincerely. Lord, I, you know my heart here. You know how mad I feel. 
But I'm asking you, please help them. Please bless them. Please give them your favor. Please continue to minister to their heart. Bring them around, oh God. And I'm saying to you, do we love God? Do we have a heart for the Lord? Is there anything in our heart that would, that, that, is there, is it a notable feature in our life? I guess that's the question I would have. Do we have, have it? We can put on love. We can make it happen. We might have to own it. Some of the things that we may have to do is rededicate ourselves to this. Just learn to love God's word. Put it into your heart. The entrance of the word of God is powerful. And it works in our lives when we take time for it. Because I'm going to remind you of something. When I have my quiet time with the Lord, when I'm alone with God, I'm not meeting a habit. I'm meeting a person. Jesus Christ is in the, in the covers of the, between the two covers of these pages. Jesus is in here. The word of God is powerful. And it works to, to work on us. And so reestablish your time alone with God. Reestablish prayer time. Reestablish a commitment to seek God and worship Him. And be ruined for Jesus again. Let God do that for you. I'm asking God to break my heart for Him and for this community and for you. I don't have any problem standing up in front of you and telling you that I... After being your pastor for a year, I love you. I know that's true. I know you come to my mind when I lay down in my bed at night and I think about you and I pray for you because I love you. And I don't have any problems saying that. But I want, I want that to grow. I want to be a person in whom it's a notable feature that I am a man of love. Because that's Christ-like. And I want people to see Christ in me. That's my heart. One of the things that we can do is work our own oikos. That word oikos, I've thrown at you many times. It has to do with reaching out to people. But God has put in your life, believer. God has purposely put people in your life who don't know him yet. And you have influence on them. They're in your community where you work, people in your family. And you have more, more influence over them than a preacher would. And God has given you the opportunity to minister to them and to say things and to invite them and to to just love on them for the sake of Christ. And you have a real key in your hand that you can turn in your oikos' lives. Work it. Do it. Love on them on purpose. Be purposeful about expressing your love. I want to just talk to you about one other person in my Hall of Fame, and there are so many, but... I want to talk to you about uh, a lady that Darlene and I met uh, very, very early into our first ministry in Laurel, Delaware, when I was a youth pastor. I, I think, honey, uh, I think I'm not wrong. It was the first or second weekend. We received a, uh, an invitation from, well, everybody calls her Mom, Mom, Catherine. And Mom, Mom, Catherine... Uh, earned that nickname. But anyway, this lady, Catherine, invited us to her church. Or I'm sorry, to her home after church. She said to us, and I think we were unpacking, she said to us, uh, what are you doing for lunch? And I said, I think we'll make some sandwiches we'll, and uh, just have them. She said, no, you won't. You're coming to my house. And I want you to come over, and I will tell you the woman could cook. Oh, my word. It was like Mel. I mean, she could cook. And so we go over there. It smells so good. She lived real close to the church and we're sitting in her kitchen and man, she had it. She had a spread on there, man. I gained, 
I think, 30 pounds before I left there. It was so good. I mean, it was great food, home cooking. I know I'm making you hungry. I'll hurry. So so it was just great cooking. The smell was there. And we're sitting there at our table. And I, I tell you, we weren't very deep into a conversation. We had said grace. And she says, I have to tell you something, Pastor Ken and Darlene. And we looked up at her and she started just bawling. She says, I just want you to know in her tears that I really love you and that Jesus loves you and I'll always be here. And that was my first exposure to the love of God in Miss Catherine. And she did become my mom, Catherine, to us. She always she spoiled me rotten. I would be at work and she would say, I want you to come over to my house for a little lunch. I just prepared something small. I'd go there and be a banquet. You know, it'd be great. Back then, boy, I tell you, I, I loved it. And so I'd get to go over there and eat with Miss Catherine. She was a widower, or a widow, I should say, and uh, just this glorious woman who really loved the Lord. And what I learned about Miss Catherine was uh, what she did for us, she did for people all the time. And in fact, I started to watch people, new people, come into the church at Laurel. And uh, they, when I would learn their story, what I would find out is this lady came to our door, knocked on our door. And when I opened it, she had this uh, really good pie. And she would start crying and say, the Lord loves you. And I just want you to know you matter to God. And he laid me on your heart. And I just want to invite you to church. And I want to give you this pie. And she would cry. Everybody made fun of Miss Catherine because she cried all the time. You know, it's, it's her big old soft heart. And she'd give a pie. And then they, I, I got that story over and over. New people would come in. This lady came to our door and invite. There she is. And then and Miss Catherine, I'd, I'd make fun of her because she couldn't watch anything even remotely sad without crying. She had the tenderest heart. And it was just fun to be with Miss Catherine. But the reason she's in my Hall of Fame is the love of God and the love of people drove her. And she brought more people to Jesus baking a pie and saying, you matter and I love you. And why? Because it was real. Now I'm going to say something that's not comfortable. But the reason why these seats aren't full is us. It's because we don't love people enough. And we don't express the love of God and the love of people enough. Because I promise you, the world is full of people looking for somebody to love them and to accept them and to bring them in. And we're failing on getting that message out. When they get in here, they they feel the love. And I'm glad. I'm glad you swarm them. I'm glad you go to them. I saw Norman walk in today. Oh, my word. I heard Norman. And everybody was running up to him and saying hello to him and all. And and I was glad to see that level of love. You're good when they're here but i'm challenging you we can fill this place up if we just find people who need to know they matter and they're loved and i pray god ruins us for people i pray they matter more than anything except jesus that's what i hope i hope that children become a passion for us and that we love children so much that We do everything in our power to make it so much fun for them to be here. They'll nag their parents to bring them. I pray that teenagers find out that through us that they matter and they're loved. And that we we work hard to develop something that relates to those kids and helps them know they count in the kingdom of God. And they just can't wait to be here. I pray that's the kind of church we become. Amen.